sermon uh, 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 text can be found on the bulletin insert, which is Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. We continue with our study of, of uh, who Christ is and who we are in Christ. And now, as you remember, we've transitioned into how are we supposed to live this life in light of who Christ is. Two weeks ago, we examined our own behaviors, how we're supposed to live in light of who we are in Christ. Then last week, we talked a lot about the church. Now Paul goes even deeper, talking about that this relationship with Christ affects everything, even the relationship between a husband and a wife, a father and a child, a mother and a child, even between an employer and an employee. So let's read the text, and uh, we'll go from there. This is Colossians 3, 18 uh, through 4, 1. Wives. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. The word of the Lord. Well, the sermon title is Follow the Leader. And I thought in order to get in the spirit of Follow the Leader, we're going to play a game. And that game is called Simon Says. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, can he really do that? Can he really play Simon Says during his sermon? The answer is yes. Plus, you only get fired once, so we might as well try it anyways. So Simon Says is the game. I only have two rules with you. Number one, you can't talk. And number two, honor system. Police each other, honor system. If you're out, you're out. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and play Simon Says. So everybody stand up. Stand up. Okay, if you stood up, you're out. Good. <laughs> All right. You guys aren't paying attention to the leader. It's follow the leader. Okay, if you're still in, go ahead and stand up. If you, didn't, if you didn't that first time, go ahead and stand up. Okay, you guys are pretty good. Okay, Simon says go ahead and stand up. If you're still in, go ahead and stand up. Very, very good. What is your name, sir? Oh, okay. This is going to be a little bit hard. Okay, are you guys ready? Oh, here. Okay, here we go. Ready? Go ahead and put your hands up. Simon says hands up. Simon says hands down. I said Simon says hands down. <laughs> this is Simon Says Hands Out. Who's left? Are you still in? Okay, you're out too. <laughs> oh, okay, unbelievable. Are you still in? Okay, go ahead and come on up here. I want to show some. Oh, okay, very good. Okay, Simon Says Hands Up. Simon Says Hands Down. Simon Says Hands Up. <laughs> Put your hands down. All right, you're out. <laughs> All right, are you still in? You're the last one. Let's give her a hand. <laughs> it's hard to follow the leader, isn't it? Hard to do in that game. It's even harder in life. All of us 
are in a position of either leading or following somewhere, aren't we? We're a husband uh, leading our family. We're an employer. We're an employee. We're in some sort of position where we have to follow the leader. Now, why is this so hard for us? You know, there's something in us that really chafes at being told what to do by someone and having to do it. We don't really like it, do we? And as a leader, it's all too tempting to take this leadership position we have and to possibly abuse it for your own pleasure, your own uh, profit. When you think about it, all the problems in the world stem from poor leadership and poor following, don't they? Anyone been tracking this story at ODU of this public official that went ahead and uh, you know, gave some money and, tried to, and got a kickback and got employed? Poor leadership going on there. All of the problems, whether it's spouse abuse or a rebellious teenager or even a revolution come from bad leadership or bad following. You know, what if for a second we could just figure this thing out and get it right? What if we could get leading and following in its proper place? What if husbands led their families and wives supported and encouraged their husband? What if children obeyed their parents and mothers and fathers led with godly principles and restraint? What if employers listened to what their employees were saying instead of shoving it aside? And employers worked with all of their heart as opposed to being belligerent and taking it out on the boss at the water cooler. Well, Jesus Christ has come, and he's come to transform relationships. He hasn't come to abolish them. He hasn't come to reform them. He's come to transform them. And the way he is doing that is by conforming these relationships into his likeness. Now, the church is the very one place where you should be able to see this. The church is the preview of the coming of the kingdom of God, albeit an imperfect one. So the question is, how can we do this? How can we be the leaders that God is calling us to be, and how can we be the followers? The truth is, we can't, but Christ can, because Christ was the perfect follower, and he was the perfect leader. When we first allow ourselves to be led by Christ's spirit, then he will make us good leaders and good followers. That's the premise of this whole sermon. We're going to look at three different relationships during our time together. The relationship between a wife and a husband, the relationship between parents and their children, and the relationship between an employer and employee. Let's look at the first one, a relationship between a husband and a wife. <clears throat> Verses 18 and 19 say, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, first of all, notice that Paul is talking here in the context of marriage. He's not talking about a business relationship. He's not talking about a civic relationship. He's talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife. Now, we need to understand that Paul's teaching here is absolutely radical. The people were reading this, their jaws would have dropped because in Jewish and Greek law, the woman was a thing. She was a possession of the man, just like his fields or his house or his flocks. She was a possession. She had no legal rights whatsoever. In Jewish law, a man could divorce his wife for whatever reason he wanted, and she would have no legal redress in the courts. 
And in Greek, in Greek culture, women were expected to have complete uh, servitude and chastity. But the man could go out and have as many extramarital relationships as he wanted without any stigma whatsoever. You see, the, all the privileges went to the male and all the responsibilities went to the female. But in this passage, Paul is showing that there is a mutual responsibility between husband and wife. What has changed? What has changed is because now this relationship of husband and wife is in the Lord. It's not in your bulletin, but 317, uh, which is the verse right before, verse 318 says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, Jesus is restoring the reality that man and woman are in the image of God. Man alone is not in the image of God, and woman alone is not in the image of God. It's man and woman together. But Paul also shows that even within this redeemed structure, there is a hierarchy. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The husband is supposed to be the head and the leader of the family. Now, in our contemporary culture, we chafe at this because to us, hierarchy is compatible with superiority. But there's nowhere in the New Testament where it shows anywhere where a woman is inferior to a man or a wife is inferior to a husband. Rather, there is hierarchy in all of God's structure. You know, when you think about it, this hierarchy in marriage, where did it come from? It came from God himself. Remember, God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, all the same substance and equal in power and glory. And yet we see Jesus saying, the Father is greater than I. Not greater in terms of his being, but greater in terms of his hierarchy. It was Jesus' submission to his Father that brought him to earth to do the work that God had called him to do. Hierarchy is not incompatible with equality. And so Paul is calling wives to be like Christ in this relationship, uh, this Trinitarian relationship. But husbands are being called to love while lead. See, they have responsibility to love while they lead. Now, we see in many places in the scriptures, what is love? We know that love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. That's what Paul is, what God is calling to man to do. But he singles out a particular thing. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You know, why is it that he singled out this particular quality? And I think it's because man, the husband, has a special responsibility to not crush the spirit of his wife. Remember, where did woman come from anyways? Adam was created, but God saw that he needed a helper. He was alone, and so what did God do? He brought him a helpmeet, and he called her Eve. And now that creation was complete. You know, I was asking my wife, Lee Ellen, uh, yesterday, I said, Lee Ellen, is it wired into you as a wife to want to help her husband and to want to support her husband? And she said, yes, it is wired into, uh, into the, the heart of a wife. But she said, one of the hardest things that happens is when a wife comes to serve, 
and instead gets treated like a slave. See, Paul is saying, do not be harsh with her. Do not take the gifts that she brings to you and stomp all over them. Treat her spirit and watch over her. You know, it's a well-proven fact. Uh, Psychologists wouldn't argue with me that people, women and men, look at love different. If you were to ask a man, how does he spell love? It's R-E-S-P-E-C-T. But if you were to ask a woman, all too often they would say C-H-E-R-I-S-H, cherish. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I was out a couple weeks ago, now it was more a couple months ago, I was uh, out in my backyard and I was walking around and we have a pool in our backyard and we have sort of a concrete area around the pool. So I was walking along just sort of minding my own business and I stepped in one area and it sounded different than all the rest of the concrete. So I said to myself, I wonder what's up with this particular piece. And the, the pool's on a hill, so I went off to the side and I looked and I dug a little bit and lo and behold, I discovered there was a huge empty cavern underneath this slab of concrete. Somehow the guys, when they were pouring, had, had not filled this particular area. And so the reason it sounded different was because it was hollow. Now, I knew that I needed to do something and do something fast or there were going to be problems because sooner or later, it wouldn't be able to bear the pressure and the concrete would crack. So what did I do? I went to Home Depot. I got an 80-pound sack of quickrete. I poured it in. I threw some water in. I watched it, and it hardened, and now there was that support, and I knew that the concrete wasn't going to crack. Okay, why do I tell this story about a pool deck? because it's the story of the relationship between a husband and a wife. See, husbands need wives. Husbands need them. They need their support. They need uh, them to submit to that leadership. Now, I'm not saying that wives don't uh, get to have a life or that they don't have a job. In fact, the wife may be the breadwinner in the family. Paul isn't saying anything about that. What he's saying is that husbands need wives to go ahead and support them and to come under them. Otherwise, they're going to crack at some point when the pressure comes across. And the best way, one of the best ways to do that is to submit to his leadership. To say to your husband, I'm there for you. I'm following you. I'm there for you. But husbands need to love their wives. Husbands need to love them. Think, if you're a husband and you're married, look at your life. Examine. How do I speak to my wife? How do I treat her? If I was to look and sort of be able to pick up her spirit, would it be in full bloom or would it be one of those crushed roses? What needs to change so a husband can love his wife? Here are a couple of ideas. One would be maybe to just spend time commending her whether at the dinner table and other times, coming alongside of her and commending her and thanking her for the support that she gives to you. Maybe it's taking her out, taking her on a date here or there to let her know how special she is. It's not just what she does for you. It's rather who she is. Maybe it's doing things for her, coming alongside and trying to cook dinner. If she cooks, maybe you're a cook. Maybe it's whatever her chores are. We all have our chores coming alongside to say, hey, I acknowledge what you're doing, and I know it's hard, and I thank you for that support. Well, what about wives? In light of this teaching, what needs to change? 
How are your words to your husband? You know, the best words that you could ever speak to your husband are, I believe in you. And I trust your leadership. And I'm going to be there for you. And I'm going to support you. How are you doing at embracing that role of being a support? Because it's not that glamorous, is it? Kind of unglamorous. You don't get a lot of the credit, do you? But that was the role that Christ had. But you may say to me, but he doesn't lead. So how can I go ahead and do that? Maybe the reason he doesn't lead is he's not sure that you're going to follow. One of my mentors who was a woman said to me, listen, if a wife puts a crown on her husband's head, sooner or later, he'll grow into it. Taking that step. You see, how do we do that? It's only when we first allow ourselves to be led by Christ's Spirit that he will make us good leaders and good followers. Now, some of you may say, well, I'm not married. So how can any of this apply to me? Listen, Jesus says that I will meet all of your needs according to, God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. If you aren't married yet, or maybe it's not God's calling on your life to be married, God is the one who will fill that support. If you're a man and you're lonely and you need that help and support, God will come alongside you. If you're a wife, uh, excuse me, a woman and you want to support someone, God can be your husband in Jesus Christ. God meets all of our needs. He's there for us, whether married or not. Well, let's look at the second relationship, the relationship between parents and children. Paul says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Okay, once again, everyone, if they read this, would be astounded because there was no equality here in Roman law. By Roman law, a father could do anything he wanted with his children. He could throw them out. He could make them slaves. He could even kill them if he wanted to without any redress for the consequences. But we see here equality and hierarchy are not incompatible. He says to children, obey. Now this word obey is different than the word to be submissive that we just read. The one with the wife, that word is an optional. It, it, it conveys the woman's choice to do that. But this word is much more mandatory. In fact, the word obey actually is a com combination of two Greek words, listen and under. Listen under your parents. Now, we intuitively understand this, don't we? When we're speaking to a child, if you have a child and you say, are you listening to me? Do you hear what I'm saying? See, that's the, that's the exact same thing. What's he say, what, what Paul is saying here is for ch children to humble themselves, to listen under their parents, to not be like that proverbial child who, when told to sit down by his, uh, by his father, said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Humility inside and out. In everything, in everything it says. Now, of course, this excludes if parents tell you that you need to do something that's contrary to God's law, but it means in the hard things and in the easy things as well, in the things maybe you don't even understand. And the reason is that this pleases the Lord. See, children, you have the opportunity, just like anyone else, to bring pleasure to the Lord in the way that you act. <clears throat> this was Jesus, the obedient son, who 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. When you're obedient to your parents, you're walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. But Paul now turns to fathers. Notice he doesn't turn to mothers. He turns to fathers, and he tells them their responsibility. Do not embitter, embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Notice this is very similar between a wife and a husband, isn't it? By crushing her spirit, they will become discouraged. One with the wife is by being harsh. The other is by embittering. What does embitter mean? Another synonym for it would be exasperate. It means nagging to, success, uh, to excess, deriding them, constantly putting them down. That's what he's talking about when he's saying embitter your children. Think about that, embitter your children. I want to put a little more flesh on this concept of embittering our children. I've thought of five ways uh, that it's very easy to embitter uh, our children. Number one, a constant stream of criticism. Always not good enough. Not good enough with the grades, not good enough with the sports, not good enough with the dress or the appearance. It's never, never quite good enough. It was uh, a Newton who said, I know that my father loved me, but he did not wish me to see it. Hiding our love by constant criticism. Number two, constant irritability or grouchiness. Father's always grouchy. He's always irritated. He, he comes in and it's like a thunderstorm rolls into the house, constantly upset, and everybody's walking around on eggshells. And sure, he's, he's nice when he's out there in the marketplace, but that's because he has to be. But when he comes home, the veneer comes off. Constant irritability will embitter our children. Number three, overly strict or harsh rules. Answer's always no. No, 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 no. And rules that are so far beyond reasonability that they, seek, they, they end up crushing their child's spirit in, instead of helping them to grow. Number four, inconsistency. Very hard when a father comes and says one thing and does the other. The child gets mixed signals, doesn't he, when someone goes hands out, hands down, and you do all these things and you can't quite figure out where's the consistency here. In fact, it's most dangerous in the church when a father looks one way but acts a different way embitters our children. And finally, number five, keeping one's child at a distance. Father is distant from the children, either physically or emotionally distant. <clears throat> he isn't engaged. But every now and then, he'll sort of come down from Mount Olympus and he'll usher, you know, you know uh, some sort of edict, he'll give some sort of edict that's so out of character with the situation than going back up to Mount Olympus. The result of our children is discouragement. I've been told there's two ways to break a horse. The first is with skill, restraining the horse, but carefully and slowly bringing it into place where it understands the role that it has regarding a human. The other is you simply take a two-by-four, and you hit it, and you hit it, and you hit it again, and that horse eventually will become tame, but you've broken its spirit. Now, why does Paul talk to fathers instead of mothers? I think because fathers are in that special role that they have the power to inflict the most harm and yet also to give that 
uh, position that only a father can give to his child. They called him the coffee cup man, my friends did. They called him the coffee cup man because he would come to practice, tennis practice, every, uh, almost every day. And he would come and he'd sit at a distance and he'd watch me and my friends practice with his coffee cup in hand. Never said a word. He just looked from a distance. And he would go ahead and he would leave without saying anything. <clears throat> I know a lot about the coffee cup man because he was my father. My father would get up earlier to go to work so he could finish, so he could come to tennis practice to watch me practice. And he would watch, and it wasn't lost on me that there weren't any other coffee cup men or coffee cup women there. My dad came to practice because he understood that saying I love you was showing up. It's really amazing that he was able to do it because his relationship with his father was very distant. Father was a stern man. He never talked to him, uh, only to give an order. And so my father grew up bereft of that uh, support. And yet he was able to show up, and he was able to learn to say the words, I love you. My father wasn't the perfect father. None of us are the perfect father. But he learned to say, I love you, and it's made all of the difference in my life. Children, how are your listening skills? How are your skills at listening under your parents? When their voice speaks, do your ears prick up? Or are they drowned out in the sea of the MP3 player and the texting and the television and all of the things and my friends and all of those kind of things? Your obedience to your parents can bring pleasure to God. Assign top priority to your parents' voice. Listen to them. Put them above the friends. Put them above the media because this pleases the Lord. And fathers, you have a huge responsibility. Monitor your speech. What are you saying to your children? What's coming out of your mouth? Maybe this week, make a point to track what it is that you're saying. Write it down. Ask your spouse, how did I do uh, today? How did I do this week? Maybe, how's your irritability? Are your kids constantly feeling like a nuisance to you? Maybe it's time to re-examine your priorities. Where is raising my kids in my scale of priorities? Maybe things need to be shuffled around so that you can obey this command. Maybe you're feeling distant from your kids. You know I'm distant. I don't know. I need to change something. I would challenge you to re-examine your calendar. How am I spending my time? Am I doing what I need to do to be there for my kids. Now, for a lot of us, this is just overwhelming, what I just told you. But remember, there are no perfect, perfect parents except for one, God the Father. You can't give what you don't have. But Christ can give you what you need because he was the perfect leader, simultaneously perfectly obedient and a perfect leader as well. He was obedient to the Father Remember John 24, I've taken everything that you have given me. I've completed the work that you gave for me to do. And he was the perfect leader. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He's a great leader, even to death. It's only when we first allow ourselves to be led by Christ's spirit that he will then make us good leaders and good followers. Well, let's look at our third point, our final point, slaves and masters. Now, when we read this, we kind of scratch our head a little bit 
You know, Paul, shouldn't you be calling for the overthrow of this institution of slavery? Why aren't you doing that? But you see, Paul is not calling for the reformation of the institution. He's calling for the transformation of it. At this time when Paul was writing, there were about 60 million slaves across the Roman Empire. Roughly half of the Roman Empire were slaves. And the Romans considered the slaves tools to be used and to thrown out, be thrown out. But Paul here in, injects equality into this relationship between slave and master. He implants a seed that will ultimately cause the downfall of slavery. If anyone wants to hear a good example, is uh, watch the movie Amazing Grace with William Wilberforce, uh, who loved the Lord and was instrumental in abolishing slavery in Britain. See, he's saying you're both responsible, slaves and masters. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Paul doesn't acknowledge the wretchedness of the institution or the inequality. He says it doesn't matter because even in the midst of this, you can be a good follower because ultimately your motivation is not serving your master, it's serving the Lord Jesus Christ that you can give a pleasing sacrifice by the way you live. Now, most of us can't relate to this slave and master thing because we don't, we don't have that institution in our country, but we can relate to the relationship between an employee and an employer. Maybe you feel like a slave at your job or at least indentured servitude. You show up and you feel trapped in your work. You hate your job, but you've got to somehow pay the bills, and so you show up and you don't like your boss and you chafe under his leadership, but you don't feel like you have a choice. See, this teaching applies to you and it applies to me. You can work even in those conditions with a sincerity of heart, with reverence because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. See, it's Jesus that gives dignity to our work. No matter how mundane it is, whether it's folding laundry or whether it's being a brain surgeon or a ditch digger or a you name it. Christ gives dignity to our work. He gives us the ability to go that extra mile. You know, you know where this uh, phrase, the extra mile, ever came from? It came from the Bible, where Jesus says, if someone forces you to go a mile, go with him too. Now, during um, Jesus' time, by Roman law, a soldier could come up to anyone and give him his bags or his armor and you had to carry his armor for one mile by Roman law. So can you imagine, he comes up to you, you're busy doing something, he gives you his armor, you look at each other, you know, he knows exactly what you have to do. You don't say anything. You start walking for a mile. And at the end of the mile, the soldier turns to you looking to get his stuff back. And what if you said, hey, let's go another mile. Roman soldier looks at you like, what are you talking about? Nobody goes another mile. Yeah, yeah, let's go another mile. Now, let me ask you a question. What did they talk about in the first mile? Nothing. What did they talk about in the second mile? Everything. Christ gives us the ability to go the extra mile. What's your situation? What's the situation you're in right now with your work? 
whether in the home, out of the home. Christ can redeem your work. What if you took that second mile attitude and took it into your job, took it into your responsibilities? What if you served and worked with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for men? You would discover much more satisfaction in your work because Christ gives dignity to your work. I challenge you to change your attitude, change your practices just for a week to go in there and to serve as serving for the Lord and see what happens. Can we do this? No, we can't. But when we first allow ourselves to be led by Christ's Spirit, then He will make us good leaders and good followers. I conclude with these thoughts. God in Christ has not come to demolish relationships. He hasn't come to reform them. He's come to transform them. He's come to place His life his Holy Spirit, square in the middle of them. Do you want to be a good follower of Christ, a good son, good daughter, a good employee, a good wife? Look to Christ. Follow him, and he will make you a good follower. Do you want to be a good leader, a good husband, or a good parent, or a good employer? Look to Christ, because when we first allow ourselves to be led by Christ's Spirit, then he will make us good leaders and good followers. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this.